Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Insanely sore from uh, jujitsu tournament yesterday um, and starting wrestling season, but I'm doing well other than that. How are you, Austin? I'm good, dude. How'd the tournament go? Uh, I went all right. I was three and two. Lost the same guy twice. Always hate it when that happens. Correct. Um, first match was like ten to two. Last match was two to four. So I got closer. But oh, okay, so it was a tur- It wasn't just a sub only type no. thing. I got you. Which I in all fairness, it was not IJBB. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely should learn the rules of how to score points in jujitsu. It sounds pretty similar to how you wrestled, though. Yeah, just go. <laughs> I, uh, I, almost I had like a whole science. I'm like, I could hold on to the wrist for like 22 seconds. I'm probably not going to get called. And then you're just out there. You just go and you don't, you just look at the scoreboard after like, did I win? Just wing it. Literally just <laughs> wing it. Um, but yeah, I didn't know what was points or not. I didn't really know. Cause like when you're in training, you just go, there's no, like, you can't do this. There's no leg locks or blue belts, whatever. And so like, I almost got DQ for reaping. Um, for like, then, wait, like just a throw. No, a leg reap is like one of the moves that you set up for a uh, leg lock. So you're oh. underneath the person and then they step almost like in your armpit and then your foot goes behind their knee. Yeah, yeah. It's like and a then 50, it ends 50, up right? on their belly button. Yeah. Yeah. It's called reaping. Yeah. Uh, I thought you meant like a judo reap where you're like stepping across with double mm-hmm. overs and just tossing them because I think right. that's legal and that would have been dope if you did that. That is legal. Um, no, I didn't do anything insanely cool. I mean, I hit a rear lift that. Could have been cool, but that was about it. Can you super no, duck, was, can you super duck people next time for me? I will do better, please, please. Yeah, um, but no, it was fun. It was you fun. Finish, competing you finish is, anybody? Competing is way different than practice. Um, yes, I got a rear naked choke on a guy. Nice, fuck yeah. The body triangle and all. Look at you. Look at you. No, I know stumpy legs. I tried the most submissions I've ever tried. I just Good. didn't get a lot of them. <laughs> I feel like when, like now, because I don't care about winning or losing, it's it's a completely different structure in my head now that I've been coaching. I feel like I'd be way better at jujitsu because I really don't care anymore. I'm see, that's how I feel, but I'm at like a I'm at an impasse. And I was telling some people this yesterday, and they looked at me like I was an idiot. But I feel like like I hate losing. Like I was not okay with how I performed yesterday. But I'm like at an impasse. It's like, do I just keep doing this casually and have fun rolling and like not really care about the results? <laughs> or do I go all the fuck in and well, dude, try that's and the win tournaments and like and like cut down or not cut down, but like actually get my body composition under control? And You're like, gonna get a rash guard sponsorship and train stuff like cardio. That. And like, do I like do I actually go in? But <laughs> especially right now, I think uh work's got to be the forefront and that i'll just do this on the side still yeah but i feel that that's that's honestly why that's the main reason why i haven't started jujitsu is because i know if i actually dive in i'm gonna go way too far like i do on literally everything and that's gonna be the one thing i think about everything else is gonna be sacrificed (laughs) yeah i mean i'm almost there like barring i don't know it's hard it's hard to stay away from that so much but yeah, I, I think I've actually been toying with that because I do want to pick one up starting at New Year's resolutions. Oh, um, starting in the new year, though, I'm thinking about p- actually getting back to doing a structured class. I think the only way I am going to start learning new skills is to, to have a little structure going on there. 
And right now I'm between either boxing or jujitsu. Dude, it's honestly pretty fun to be like a student in a class. Like I feel as though like I'm coaching so many hours or so many sessions with athletes and everything that I never get to just like have somebody coach me. Yeah, you just like, want to be told what to do. Right. Literally, <laughs> like when I saw my coach at the jujitsu tournament, I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, just, just tell me to do stuff. And like, he's like, he's like, trust your wrestling jujitsu will come. I was like, all right. He's like, just go out there. You're a wrestler, be a wrestler. And then if you see something, take it. And like advice worked very well, you know, like, yeah. so was that Jordan? Shout out to, yeah. Shout out Jordan to Tony at uh factory X wrestling coach. He's, he's a bad dude. Dope, dope. No. Yeah. Um, have you, so, struck, have you started striking at all? Or are you just doing jits right now? That's my 2022. You just talked oh. about New Year's resolutions, picking up classes. I got shin guards coming for Christmas. I already have, <laughs> uh, yeah, I already have my gloves. Fucking 2022 kickboxing. Here we go. Fuck yeah! So you're doing like kickboxing, not straight up Muay Thai. Uh, they, or is it like a mix? It's a kickboxing class, and so this is a weird thing for I think just gym owners in general and martial artists. Um, your insurance rates go sky high. If you have wrestling classes or boxing classes, really? Right? Yeah. Because I think they're the more established sports and it's like, there's a known risk involved, <laughs> but Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai do not yield the same insurance risk. So you don't have to pay as much until insurance people start hearing this podcast. <laughs> I know. Right. It's like, it's like fuck it <laughs> up you for, fuck everybody. It for everybody. It's like, fuck it up for everybody. So <laughs> Um, so it's, it's a technique. I think it's called a Muay Thai class, but I think it's straight up kickboxing, which, um, is fine. Um, but we just label our classes in order to not. So instead of wrestling, we have like BJJ takedowns or like, Oh, that's why they call it that. I remember I was, ta- I was asking you about that one time. <laughs> they were grappling or something. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah, that's, that's 2022. I, I've hit mitts two or three times. Um, starting to figure out. So I don't look like a baby lamb. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then, but I still can't really kick very well. I'm awful at kicking, and then just training the other combinations. Yeah, <laughs> which I That's... feel like it's going to be a lot like my wrestling, where I just go and just yeah. You're the you're the dude that just goes forward. You're just you're kazmachmiving this bullshit, <laughs> just trying to run through people. I hope I hope <laughs> I look like that. That'd be sick. Um, Only forward pressure. You just have quads. <laughs> But I think there's a good point to that, though. Like when you're in competition, you don't necessarily want to be in your head is like, what am I looking for? Like, how do I get to this head and arm choke? It's more like, have I trained enough to rely on my instincts? And can I just go and then end up in the right positions? Right. Eh, I I see where you're coming from with that, but. I would rather have somebody that's cognizant in what they're doing in there versus somebody that's relying on instinct. Like that's, I see that as like the difference between the Israel Adesanya's and the Anderson Silva's and a guy like Kazmach Maev, which, and we don't know, right. We've only seen them in one round, like one round fights essentially. But when, when Izzy's in there, you can see in his brain that he's looking and he's analyzing and he's seeing all the different steps and all the different progressions that are going through the entire, like the entire, it's like a checklist in his head. We talk about all the time. It's a flow chart versus if you're just relying on instinct, that can be fucking amazing, but that could totally bite you square in the ass. Yeah. And I guess the, there's a spectrum to it too, right? You can go too far one way, too far the other way where you get like either paralysis by analysis or just running head on into a head kick, right? There, there's, exactly. There's a spectrum to 
just relying on feel and, and raw it was um, instinct versus it was the Izzy, uh, the perfect example of this is the fifth round of the Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum fight. Amazing fight. But you saw in the fifth round, Izzy was placing his shots. Kelvin was just trying to like just go through him. Yeah. And the, that was the difference in the fight. And that was the difference in who won. Yeah. But you also want to be so good at that strategy piece and so good at the, the technical thing that it is still super efficient and Oh, for sure. Optimized. You don't want to have to think like, you know, they got to turn my back foot on the cross, right? Like, right. Yeah. You don't want them to be in their head about technique, but I'm thinking when I, when I say thinking, I want them thinking like game plan stuff. I want them thinking if I, if, if I throw this kick, I know this is coming next. Well, you want it to be bang, bang. Like you want it to be instinct, but for the most part, I'd rather them be cognizant with what they're doing because then they know what's coming next. Well, that's the super interesting part for training for me, even when we talk about like you know, unconscious competence, right? Like, can we make the, that correct response, no matter the stimulus, can we make the correct response, the automatic response, right? Like, yeah. how good are you at making the fast paced decisions in the correct way? Yeah. And that's like half the battle of training in mixed martial arts. And that's why it's so multifaceted is like, one, there's not only one right answer. Um, two, you have to make that right answer within two milliseconds of a stimulus. Three, you have a guy across from you trying to do the exact same thing. <laughs> and and you don't know what they're doing. It's a completely right. unpredictable variable. He might shoot. He might like. He might shoot. He might faint. He might strike. You don't know. <laughs> so right. that's where like I think the only everybody wants to get like exactly what you said, Alex, everybody wants to get to it's their instinct and their instinct is always right. But I don't think that's how you play chess while the other person's playing checkers. And that's what my, that's what I strive for all of my athletes to get to. I want all of my athletes to feel like they're playing chess and their opponents playing checkers and they're just fucking them up. Like they're a step ahead every single time. And you have to be consciously in the fight in order to be a step ahead. I don't think that you can just go right to that flow state that people talk about and always be a step ahead agree to disagree fair that works for me I feel, like, I feel like yeah being a step ahead may be part of the flow state or you're just seeing clearer more clearly and you're responding at a higher rate um and you're harder to read i don't know it, it gets well, in I, the weeds but like my my in, my initial thought when you said you want to play chess or somebody playing checkers but it's like, don't sit back and play chess. Like eventually the other person can be playing chess too. Then you have to just be better at chess. And then you have to be better and faster at chess. And okay. then you're being flow state, state, right? Or, or like, don't Cross play chess when somebody's trying to box you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I, j- I just, where, I, where I'm coming from is a lot of athletes try to rely on their instinct. They think their mm-hmm. instinct is what's they think their instinct is what's gotten them to the point at which they are. And while that hundred percent can be, I feel like that completely negates game planning that completely negates watching film that completely negates the coaching going in. It's like, why, why are you even being coached? If you're just relying on instinct, quote unquote, that's what got you there. Why are yeah, you doing yeah. these different things? So that's where I'm coming from, where I want, while I rely, I, I rely heavily on my athletes instincts. And I think that's an extremely valuable skill there needs to be the game plan that's also emphasized. There needs to be the coaching that's also emphasized in order to really be a step ahead of the, of the opposition. 
in my and mind. I, and I totally agree that the game planning, the film, the the strategizing, it's all necessary. It's all needs to happen 100%. But that is part of your fight camp. Like as you have your fight camp, you're training specifically with this game plan and strategy and leaning into your athlete's strength and weaknesses against the opponent's strength and weaknesses. And you can create that game plan. But like in an eight-week camp or in a 10-week, however long we have notice, can we make these responses automatic? Right. Like that's the, the point of the fight camp is like, can we plan it so well that we know if the if your opponent's coming in with a low kick, we know, all right, automatic response, catch it, takedown, you know, or something like that. Like maybe not catch it, takedown, but takedown off the low kick. So that's an in- interesting in between by the um like the the cognitive athlete versus the just kind of brawn athlete for sure. Well, it, honestly, it's cool because it's, I get to, that allows me in, a view inside your head because it's like, like I, it parallels I, <laughs> me versus you very yeah, well. Yeah. Like, cause when I, like, that's how, when I was wrestling, I was thinking like, and some people used to yell at me for it. Cause I moved a little bit. Like I wasn't the fast athlete. If you saw mm-hmm. me, I, I wasn't, I wasn't the power athlete. I was the guy that was trying to game plan and, and that's what I valued. And that's what I value as a coach. So it's, it's cool because like, that's, there's no one right answer. Right. Like you said, agree to disagree, but it's, it's how I coach is how I was as an athlete. And I would suffice it to say, I would assume you're very similar as well. Yeah. Where you're, you tell your athletes yeah. to rely on, on their athleticism or rely on the intangibles that they have versus for me, I'm like, Hey, I hope you have intangibles, but we can game plan almost fucking everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> For the most part, I would say about 90% of things we can game plan for. There's sometimes there's those 10% that are just outliers, but about 90% of the people in the UFC or about the people that fight, you can game plan for. Yeah, that's a hugely interesting point, though, is like how you coach, how you were coached, right? I think that happens to the nth degree in coaching, right? That's how most coaches learn to be coaches is they just watch their mentor or the person that was their head coach. Um, and the same is true with me. Like that's, that was my wrestling background. Like my, um, my high school wrestling coach who kind of took me to the next level, like his, he's like, you're an athlete, go out there. And and like one of his, two of his best sayings, right. Or like most frequent sayings, like, so just be an athlete. Right. That was like one of his quotes is like, when you're doing this and everybody asks, is it left foot? Is it right foot? Blah, blah. He's like, just be an athlete. Figure it out. Just do it. (laughs) And then uh, the other thing that he would always tell me right before match, he's like, hey, man, no matter what happens, land on top. Yeah. And so, uh I mean, that feeds into kind of, you know, how I wrestled. But and like I do that a lot with my athletes now that you bring it up. Like I always, you know, I coach my athletes into a, a performance state where they can have a lot of success. And, you know, a lot of times that is not dumbing things down, but like getting rid of those like mental barriers to performance, like doing landmine split jerk. And then everybody's concerned with like technique, this technique, that it's like, we've done eight weeks of a landmine push press. It's almost exactly the same thing. <laughs> Just fucking rip the ball, you know, like, yeah, it, it's that, that simple in some instances, but there are a lot of you know variabilities with each athlete that you're coaching. So some athletes, like if I was coaching Austin, I would need to adapt my coaching style to a degree. Right. Right. No, it's weird because like thinking about, thinking about my previous coaches, there weren't really any people that coached me that way though. Hmm. <laughs> like you said, your coach was the one that brought that up. I had people that just told me to go. Like I was, I mean, I, yeah. if you're in the wrestling world, you know who the fuck Hector Gomez is. Hector Gomez mm-hmm. is like a second dad to me. All he told me was just attack. 
<laughs> like he told me, he's like, just go forward and take him down. And I, that just wasn't my style, but I still did really well. And honestly, thinking about it, I wonder if I had a coach that was in the same, like, like how I mesh with like a Santino yeah. and how I love his coaching style. I wonder if that would have done me, done me well or harmed me because the cool thing is I had to figure it out on my own a little bit because yeah. I wasn't that attack vector. And I think that's made me a better coach, to be honest. Um, but having to figure out my style and going through that where like everybody else did really well with just shoot, I just sucked at shooting. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I had to figure it out on my own and I had, I had to become the guy that was analytical and maybe that's why it made me analytical. Cause I had to take it into my own hands, but it's cool to think about because the closest thing I had was Needham. Like that's yeah. why, I th- and I think that's why me and Needham meshed so well. But as soon as I, as soon as I had him teaching me legs, like, I mean, I've, I've thrown legs in on you before. Like my legs are pretty fucking good. And I, uh, I, I, I immediately I, got out of them. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. That's all that <laughs> happened. Um, but like, and I owe that all to Needham. And I think I wish I had something like that growing up through somebody that understood the analytical side and that understand that's how I operated. Cause I think it would have taken me to a different level as a wrestler. Yeah. And it's interesting how we all, I think as coaches too, and uh, I think Michael Boyle wrote an article about this a while back, but like every one of us coaches, Michael Boyle. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mike. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Shut up. It's like the one time I thought West Side was from Ohio. It's another deal. Um, West Side is from Ohio. Or from, Pen- I said from Pennsylvania. Or <laughs> um, I should stop bringing stuff like that up. But I think it's interesting how all of us as coaches and how we develop as coaches in our own right have our own like crosses to bear right yeah. like like you never had the analytical coach so you started to learn that and now that's influenced a lot of how you coach right like i was a pretty good raw athlete and then i you know hurt my back and i leaned into the raw athleticism you know i strength and conditioning and functional fitness and movement to correct my back and like that's how i coach now right a lot of the time so it's interesting how Injuries, I think, are probably the number one like stimulus for a lot of this for many performance coaches. Um, but then on like technical side of things, a lot of times it's like you know failure to accomplish your goals or um, just that one thing, or or you've made the sport your life, right? And so yeah. I can't tell you how many coaches you know have the story of like well, I didn't achieve my goals because of this. So now I'm coaching to help other people achieve their goals. Like, oh yeah, which is a fully validated, like, you know, life passion. And I totally agree with that. And like, that's me to an extent, like, you know, I, I was at an okay college wrestling career. I didn't ever all American or anything, but I want to help somebody else do it better than I did. Like exactly. that's, like, um, that's the game. That's why I got into health. That's why I got into healthcare. It's because I, yeah, exactly. I just, that's why I do what I do. And honestly with performance care, cause I wish I had somebody like me going through every, like going through sports, mm-hmm. because if, if you get stuck in a rehab paradigm, which is like what I was like, I always just got stuck in the training room because I thought that's where I needed to be because the aches and pains. I honestly, I just needed somebody that understood both rehab and performance and could say, Hey, could understand like, Hey, stop being a fucking pussy. <laughs> like I've had people say that to me that were coaches. And I'm like, I, well, I don't really, and nothing against coaches, but like, I don't really respect that you understand the injury that I have. Yeah. And then I had rehab professionals that babied me and told yeah. me that, Oh no, like we need, we need to just keep doing this. The biomechanics aren't hundred percent right yet. Let's just do banded bullshit. And I'd never had the person that I, I guess I kind of connected with where I'm like, I understand that you know exactly what's going on with me. And I trust you when you're saying that I'm a pussy, I'm being a pussy. 
So that's, that's why I do. That's why I do what I do now is that I can be that guy that can say, Hey, no, you need to sit out. And I know that everybody in the entire system trusts me, or I can tell the athlete with the coaches right there. No, you're being a fucking puss. Like, let's go. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. Because I was the opposite. I was a guy that never went to the training room and was just super bullheaded. And it's like, yeah, it hurts. I'll be fine. I'll get through it or whatever until, until it wasn't, you know? So, Mm -hmm. and I have so many athletes like that right now. It's like, yeah, it really hurts. It's like, and it's hurt for a week. You should probably go talk to a PT (laughs) or somebody like we have resources for that, you know, more than two days, more than two days of pain. You need to get checked out. I want to reaffirm that every single time (laughs) it gets brought up on this podcast. (laughs) So, and I don't know, it's just a, it's an interesting complex because you want to find the professionals that you trust and are in network, but it's sometimes, sometimes like if I have a high school athlete, like you're kind of at mercy of the system. Like I know all of my high school athletes say, I'm never going to athletic trainer. He'll just make me sit out. It's like, yeah, maybe sitting out is what's going to help you play the rest of the season. Like sure. it's an okay strategy. So um, it's an interesting paradigm when you think about the cultural motivations of like injury versus the like, what's the actual scientific best thing to do? Well, and that's, that's what I hope everything starts to change. And that's part of our mission with building a fighter is that kid shouldn't feel like that shouldn't be his first reaction is if I get hurt, if I go to the athletic trainer, I can't do the one thing that brings me joy. That's fucking, that's you know how shitty that is, is the paradigm of what's going on. That kid should be enticed to go to the trainer. That kid should be that. It should be a good thing to go get your injuries looked at. That should be the number one thing in your head that, Oh, my fucking elbow hurts. I have a professional. That's not going to take away what I love to do unless he absolutely, he or she absolutely necessarily needs to. And that's what we're trying to fix. And that's what sports medicine needs to move to. Is because like if you're if you're working with an elite athlete, if you're working with elite athletics, the one thing that brings them joy sometimes is that sport. Yeah. They're not gonna come to you when they're hurt if they think every single time they talk to you, you're gonna take that sport away from them. It can't be a all or nothing situation. And that's where you need to understand, that's where we need professionals that understand athletics in the field, not just I played JV high school football. That doesn't well, cut it anymore. Yeah, I think understand athletics and also understand, yeah, understanding athletics as in understanding the mentality of a lot of athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So, well, but I don't want to come the, to you. If you go ahead. The, well, I was just going to say, understanding the mentality of athletics, it's really, and I want to be clear, you, you don't have to be an elite athlete in order to work with elite athletes. I'm not trying to say that. What I am saying is, it is rare that I come across somebody with an elite at, that understands elite athletics minds that weren't an elite athlete themselves. It takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of training or a lot of studying to really understand what those athletes are thinking. Like it's, it's hard for them to understand how much that sport means to them unless they've dedicated their life to something like that is what I'm saying. Um, I agree. I agree. Like, and it, it, like you said, it doesn't have to be sports. If you've like, you know, pursued your training career to the nth degree, or even if you were like, if you had a, a fucking band or an instrument that you pursued to playing like as far as you could, like it's just gotta be something that you've sunk in so much into. And then somebody telling you, you can't do that thing anymore. Right. And it's not necessarily that you can't do that thing anymore, but it's that, you know, saying, well, first thing I hear right now is that we're not going to practice for three weeks. And it's like, that's a really hard line to 
to toe, right? Like exactly. And it, it shouldn't come out nonchalant. It couldn't, it shouldn't come out first thing. It shouldn't come out this and that. Like, and that's where that's another reason me as a strength coach, I think I have so many athletes that come to me and say, well, this hurts. What can I do? This hurts. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I did this. It's like, because I'm more approachable because I don't necessarily have to make any of those hard decisions or I don't control, you know, playing time. I don't control sitting out or not. So so I'm a, I'm a lot softer of an approach and like, that's where you just hope you can foster and create good athletes or good relationships with the PTs, with the doctors, the physicians, chiropractors, whoever you're working with within your team. So a lot of dynamics, a lot of social and uh, scientific dynamics going on. Yeah. But I mean, that's also a good point where I think is a, a little bit of a divergent path. I think that strength addition coaches should be a, we've talked about this with, with, was it Tim talking about how there should be some sort of accreditation with strength, yeah. like a legitimate yeah. one, but B, I think it should also be a requirement that strength conditioning coaches have to take some sort of correctional exercise class, personal opinion. I think you guys in all reality, fitness professionals in general are the opening field. They're, they're the starters of the healthcare paradigm personally. I think if everybody understood biomechanics a little bit better, if, if you couldn't just walk off the fucking couch and call yourself a strength conditioning coach, which pisses me off to no, <laughs> to no like end. But I think in order to have some sort of certification in strength conditioning, you have to, you should have to take a corrective exercise courses because every single one of you, it's not just you, every single strength conditioning coach is getting those questions. Yeah. No, and I, I, totally I wouldn't agree. trust most of right now. I wouldn't trust most of them to have the right answer. Well, yeah. And it's an interesting, I say interesting. It's, it's kind of poor in strength and conditioning that a lot of the times it's almost like we're taking strength and conditioning as a skill-based um, like competition versus what it is, actually is, is an auxiliary to an athlete's training or a, a potential health and wellness like, treatment. Right. So we look at like strength and conditioning. It's like, all right, do you know how to bench squat and deadlift? Can you do that well? Can you teach that well? Okay, you're a strength coach. It's like, <laughs> not really, you know, not really. And that's a, another kind of line that I, I've drawn in my head. Uh, it's a little bit insane, but it's like, you know, strength and conditioning coach versus like performance coach versus like yeah. preparation specialist, like those type of terms, like they like, they carry some weight and they mean something to me, right? Like if I'm a strength and conditioning coach, I think about more a little bit about like meatheadiness. Like I'm in the weight room, I'm coaching athletes to lift heavy loads and this and that. But if I'm like a performance coach, then I am a little more all encompassing of like, what are the variables to your performance and how can I better teach the biomechanics and the movement profile so that we do maximize your performance. And that's kind of what I've been leaning towards more recently is, is like a performance coaching standpoint, but I know for like the layman, those terms don't really mean anything. So, well, but that's a good point is they, they should, maybe that's how this whole accreditation thing occurs is that those words do mean something. Maybe there is a differentiation between the two. Maybe that's where it starts is that anybody can call themselves a fitness professional, but in order to have the title of strength and conditioning coach, you need to be certain, you need to be licensed by the board or you need to be X, Y, and Z. It's the same thing. Like anybody can call like, there's something called a fucking like myopractor or some bullshit like that. I don't know. Mm. What the fuck it, I don't know what the fuck it means, but I've seen it advertised down here and anybody can call themselves a myopractor. That's not a, that's not a licensed degreed uh, profession in the field, but they also, if you get found out that you're practicing without a license and you try to do the job of a chiropractor, a PT, whatever it may be guess what? Aha, you go to jail. And 
that's where I think strength conditioning needs to be, where there can be fitness professionals, but in order to be considered the top tier, in order to have some sort of designated, in order for the public to trust your knowledge that you went through an accredited like course system, that you actually at least have a base level of knowledge that's going to benefit the person in front of you, there should be some sort of accreditation that everybody understands because that's why you have licenses, right? That's why medical doctors have to pass boards. That's why osteopaths have to pass boards. That's why chiropractors have to pass fucking seven boards because it used to be such shit bags that they made us do more than one. <laughs> like, like that's, that's why we have all these different tests is that so the public understands that we have their best interests in mind for the most part, there's some shit bags still out there, but that we also have the base level of competence that they are in good hands when they come to see us. We understand the topics that if they're coming to see us for aches and pains or for any sort of issue, guess what? We at least have the base level of knowledge to diagnose them and to understand what the beginning stages of their care should be. And that's what fitness needs to get into. There needs to be some sort of, I guess, accreditation in my mind to where if somebody comes to me, if I go to somebody, if I go to a fitness trainer and I have low back pain, they should understand that even though their core needs to be stronger or whatever it may be, that sit-ups probably aren't the right play here. Mm -hmm. Like that is going to further exacerbate their symptoms in about 99% of cases. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what really, I think in that specific instance kind of fucks things up is like a lot of humans are like generally robust. Like we, we talk about, yeah. um, and we talk about a lot how people are fragile and we need to do the exact right thing a lot of the times, but like a lot of athletes are robust enough that your shitty programming or your shitty coaching isn't <laughs> gonna really show up. True. Right. Like that's yeah. the hardest thing. It's like a lot of coaches, you know, we have this saying of like, did you perform because of, or in spite of, Yeah. you know? And so a lot of times you can't tell a lot of times you just straight up can't tell because he, you know, especially if we get into high performing athletes, they're so robust that their skill set and their um, like integrity as far as their structural bodily integrity is going to hold up, period. Yep. So that's an interesting play there. But I totally agree. And I think something that we should also recognize, and like you can think of that this as a consumer too, like each practitioner, each strength and conditioning coach, they're going to have their own different, unique you know, tool bag that they bring with them. And they're going to be special specialists for lack of a better term in what they do. Like, you know, if, if somebody is a power lifter per se, and they want to come to me and it's like, yo, I want to get my powerlifting totals from, you know, five Oh five to five thirty five. Like, that's cool. That's not my wheelhouse. Like, you know, as much as I could coach you on the deadlift or the bench press or whatever, like I know for a fact, like high level powerlifting is not my jam. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I might refer them out or I, I train with them and see if it works. But, you know, the same thing, like if a fighter is going to the powerlifting guy, it's like yep. the powerlifting strength coach is going to teach us fighter how to be really strong and really fixed set positions. But is that, you know, performance training? Is that preparation for their actual sport? You can argue, make a generalist argument for sure, but is it the best we can do? I don't think so. So, right. and I would assume, and I, I know so with chiropractic or with physicians as well, they have their certain wheelhouses as well. Like mm -hmm. Austin goes to DNS, like, um, among a multitude of things, but like, sometimes we just, again, have to make sure that there's a match and the best fit is achieved within the coach athlete, not just relationship, but training dynamic as well. Well, yeah. And I say this, I say this a lot and I probably say it more than I fucking should, but like. 
a chiropractic license is literally just a seat. Like I, I never really understand why people have like graduation parties and stuff like that. That's literally means that you have the base level of competence to perform the task. Right. Yeah. But that means that the public trusts you because you've gone through this, the, all the entire structure, the entire system to at least have that base level of competence. That doesn't mean you can't go up. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean there can't be specialties. Like we have sports physicians, we have board radiologists. We I don't even know what else. we have a bunch of fucking different specialties, quote unquote, for the chiropractic profession. But and same for PTs, same for MDs. You like you typically want your shoulder surgery done by a shoulder surgeon, right? For the most part, a, sh- a shoulder ortho. You're not going to have, you can, the, the foot surgeon could do that surgery, but is that their specialty? No. So they're probably going to punt to somebody that's their specialty. What I would propose for the fitness model would be there's a base level license, literally just a base level license. You have a general understanding of what's going on and you're not going to hurt the person in front of you. You're still going to help them. And then there's all of these different specialties. If you want to work with fighters or you want to work with athletes, there's that the performance training route. That's where I'm saying the words matter. When you said like the general layman doesn't understand the difference between strength and conditioning coach, performance specialist. And right now it really doesn't matter. But if we did use those words, words are just words. We can assign meaning to them. We can assign titles to them. If we make different differentiations between people that want to work with high elite performing athletes, people that want to work with the rehab population, people that want to work with just general gen pop, people that want to work with any like weekend warriors, any different title and have subspecialties in there. I think that's the best way to give the public the best product possible, which at the end of the day is the only way that any field continues to elevate. That's how we continue to raise the tide is because a riding, rising tide lifts all boats. If everybody gets better, Joe Rogan says it all the time, the world, like, the world just needs less losers. If everybody just gets fucking better, if we have less losers in the field, the boats continue to rise. And that's what accreditation does. And that's what credentialing does. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, you know, hate to shoot shots, but the CSCS doesn't do the job. No. And I, dude, I, I'm open about it all the time. Like I, yes, my undergrad was in exercise science, whoo, but I didn't take the CSCS until I was done with Cairo school, like four years past my education on exercise science. I didn't study at all. And I passed with flying colors. That test needs to be harder because that mm. shouldn't happen. <laughs> it's an interesting, yeah. And, and that's what we're trying to do with building fighters. Like I think you said, like work on that further point. Like you want to be a fitness professional. Cool. You want to be a performance coach. That's another accreditation. You want to be a mixed martial artist um, performance coach. That's where like building fighters is going to fit into, you know, the niche service there. But yeah, I, you know, you have a lot of um, the NSCS, NSCA and the CSCS to me, I think take a way too broad approach to everything. Like in the CSCS exam, you try and cover every single topic of health and nutrition and fitness to like a, you know, a three foot deep level, yeah. right? We don't necessarily need to deep dive, you know, 20 feet into, you know, what a power clean looks like. But there should be a little more emphasis, like you said, in human biomechanics and um, movement patterning, which I feel like, again, I learned all on the job. Like I would say most of my training and most of how I train people, maybe 80 to 70, 75 to 80% of it is information and lessons I've learned while coaching. And then the other 25, the base level, you know, statistics and um hard to digest information comes from my educational background, but well, and you want to talk, you want to talk about why a field is dogmatic. 
Exactly what you just said. You want to know yeah. why strength and conditioning is such a dogmatic field is because you learn on the job for the majority of your fucking job, which don't get yeah. me wrong. Experience is extremely useful, but you want to know how a field like, like practicing medicine, like medical doctors isn't dogmatic and they're research-based is because you learn literally in your like full education, you learn 90% of what you need versus the opposite, learning 10% of what you need and then learning 90% on the job. So in, in a field like strength and conditioning, when we get there, like how do we bridge that gap in the classroom? And I think it's having, a hard having more. I, I, I have an answer. Having more labs based around strength and conditioning, having more educational opportunities where while you're in your education, you are on, you are on the job. Think about it like the residency model. You're on the job, but you're still learning. You still have somebody overseeing you, what you're doing, stuff like that. Now I get that, but then it, it almost seems like we're just taking the on-job training and putting it within a classroom and then calling it class, you know, like. Correct. With- but you have somebody overseeing you. What's the difference? What's the difference between you could go to say you're great at your job, but say you suck, you go to a gym and you're training and you're hurting people instead of the person telling you, Hey, this is what we need to do. Instead of somebody mentoring you, instead of somebody helping you through your pitfalls or potentially telling you, maybe this isn't the right fit for you. You just get fired. That's what's happening currently. You don't know what mistakes you're making. That's why we have internships. That's why we have education is that you have somebody that when you make mistakes, can tell you the mistakes that you're making and assist you along the path to trying to resolve them. That's that's the entire education model, or at least what I think it should be. And that's what I think should happen for fitness, should happen for a lot more different, a lot more things, because what do we know is one of the leading things that people when they're hiring, look for, they look for on the job experience. They look for, for people that have done this job for more long periods of time. So obviously that's an extremely valuable thing, but people are graduating colleges with zero on the job experience when hirers or people that are hiring are looking for on the job experience. So something doesn't match up. How do we fix that? We put on the job experience as more and more of an emphasized thing in the education system. And that's where, well, continue. Yeah. Your semester long at graduation internship doesn't really fit that box, right? Like exactly. it's, it's it's something, but it's not enough in that instance. But if I think about like a strength, a typical, you know, we'll call it exercise science, like everybody else does. Or if I think about a typical personal training, uh, performance coach curriculum, what are some of your big rocks that go in there, Austin? Because like if we're complaining about how the, um, educational model doesn't really work like and you've suggested to put more on the job training like a residency based model which i i'm totally on board with like that's essentially what i did with my internships like that's why mm-hmm. a lot of training condition coaches the good ones at least like stack up four five six unpaid internships but what are some of your big rocks as far as teaching um in the curriculum go like as far as like basic science classes or or what just in general the whole curriculum sure well i I think that we need more basic sciences and strength conditioning as well. I think that that one, at least from from our exercise science, even though I didn't didn't graduate with their degree, I left early. I was fucking seven credits away from getting the degree. So I went through basically the whole thing. 
And for the most part, what I think was lacking through a really good exercise science program is I think we need another anatomy and physiology class. I mean, we need, I think we need more in-depth basic science classes. I think we need less gen eds to be completely honest. Like I get why gen eds are in, are in the program and why there's a base requirement. Cause you want somebody to be a well-rounded person. But in my mind, while you want them to be well-rounded, I think, why are we going to education for specialty? We're going to get an education so that we would be specialized. Why are we promoting a generalized approach? That doesn't make sense. Let them well-round in the aspects they want to well-round in. And then from there, um, after we get rid of some of the gen ed requirements, we can add in more of the basic sciences. We can add in a little bit more in-depth exercise phys, because I think I only had two of those in undergrad. I think that's an extremely influential part. And I think that kind of put a lot of the pieces together for me um, going into the healthcare model was the expanded. I think we had six exercise phys or like phys classes in Cairo school. And that, that helped connect a lot of the dots for me on the fitness side, actually Um, allowed me to actually understand the Krebs cycle, (laughs) like super useful thing to actually know what's going on. Uh, And then also from that aspect, I think we need less of the theoretical program building classes and we need more experience. So there's like down at ASU, they have a functional uh, fitness professional um, degree you can get health and wellness fitness professional or something like that. And one thing that I was talking to Chance, who just graduated with that, um, is he was saying they have a lot of experience that they get. They have to make programs for actual teams that ASU contracts with, like different high schools, and they're doing the programming for that. So they get real world feedback from coaches in a controlled setting where if they're making a glaring mistake, it has to be overlooked by the person in charge. (laughs) so they're able to fix it on the spot if it's a bad one, but then they also get to tailor their, their education based around the sports they want to work with because they can put in the hat and pick the different sports they want to program for. So it allows for further specialty and allows for you to find or carve out your niche, if you will. So, and I think that's way more important than these theoretical program building classes that are, that we're essentially taking right now. I'm going to kind of pick apart again. Like I agree with on the hands training and I agree with more general sciences, but when my, um, where my kind of light bulb ticks is the bridge between the two, because I think right now that bridge is non-existent per se, right? Like you do all your basic sciences and you learn your things in class and then you go out to the field and it's like, now apply it. I think sometimes either the, the um, theoretical programming class or something along the lines of a, you know, overseen internship or uh, residency model. Like, I think that gives you the opportunity to bridge that gap because then you can have an instructor, you know, saying like, this is where we can apply your physics and dynamics um, base level knowledge into like what's actually happening in a plyometric exercise. Like this is where we can apply some of these basic science principles to strength conditioning, because that's, that's the part that I feel like is, is missing. And that's almost like the, the taken for granted knowledge, like good strength coaches do that. Um, and they've done a lot of continuing education and relied on themselves to manifest it versus mm-hmm. like, we can give that to somebody with an exercise science degree. Like, and again, not through strictly theoretical programming classes, not through, you know, just hands-on experience, but I think there needs to be a bridge between here's your anatomy phys three about, you know, tendons, ligaments, structures, how they actually work or where they're specifically at. Here's some exercise selection that we can use to address all the anatomy, physiology, physiology, three content, which is right. Like something like that, or, 
here's your X phys class number four. Like how would that apply into a program that you write up? Yeah. And then, and then take that same program, put it into your internship or your um, overseen programming. It's like, how does it play out? You know? And like, for sure. And I, I feel, go ahead. Oh, I was, yeah. I would equate that to I, what you're saying isn't wrong, but I would equate that to like when I took like econ classes or when we took like finance classes, I never liked the games where we just got given a thousand dollars to invest in the stock market. And we got to watch the portfolio, like fake money. And we watched, got to watch the portfolio go up and down. If there's not a real world consequence, I didn't learn as well from it personally. And that's where I think the- theoretical classes are, are useful for some people. And that's, that goes into a completely different argument of, are we, is education supposed to be utilitarian in nature and should be made for the, for everybody, or should it be specialized and for like individuals? But for me personally, every time that there is a theoretical, we're making a theoretical program. If there's nothing on the line, I I didn't get much out of it. And maybe that's a, maybe that's, I just suck. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but I always performed better when I knew that there was a real world consequence to what I was doing. I'm always going to do better in my internship because I know that person in front of me is going to either benefit or suck because of what I helped with. No, I agree. I think consequences and like actual weight in a performance driven, you know, whatever internship is more valuable experience, but at least in, in the first instance, like you can't take the first program you write and put it on somebody. Sink right? or swim, like, bitch. Sink or swim. <laughs> With some oversight, maybe, but it's, <laughs> but, but that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying is I think we let them sink or swim with oversight. So if there's a glaring, like if you're, if you're fucking doing 15 sets of seven of heavy weighted trap bar jump shrugs obvious obviously the person (laughs) obviously the the instructor is going to be like hey maybe that's a little bit too much load like like they maybe they shouldn't do that and we can talk about that in that situation but if there's not a real real world consequence i think especially for the field of strength conditioning where so many people are kinesthetic and so many people come from athletics where you're looking after something you're looking to try to gain something you're looking to win quote unquote, I think that's where this sink or swim bitch model applies really, really well to fitness, strength conditioning, because there's something on the line. There's something to, to gain. There's something to win. Then we have to talk about what is sinking and what is swimming, right? Like sinking is sinking and swimming, like winning the game, like getting the head coach to like you, like seeming hard on the athletes. Cause that's right now, that's what swimming is, yep. is putting the right perception out there versus like Sinking is, you know, for lack of a, a better room, like social death, like sinking is all right. None of my clients like me. The head coach doesn't like me. I don't have a job anymore because they don't understand what I do. And if they don't like me and don't understand what I'm doing, I'm out. Right. Like yes. it's Correct. a total, it's a total social construct of sinking and swimming um, in the professional field, which doesn't lead to good strength and conditioning in my mind. Like that just leads to you know, social skill and navigation, which hundred percent is a, a viable skill set. Your general education right there. <laughs> to a degree. Um, but that's a social skill that they need to perform at. I, I know but it's that not going to be the, that should not be the only no, but criteria, that should be but a, it is right. Now. I don't, I, maybe I haven't done that whole like internship aspect that you have. So maybe I have a different light, but that's not what I've seen. What I've seen is that is a useful skill that's going to progress you in your career. Yes or no. You need to learn how to like, 
if you are, you could be the best strength coach in the world, but if your clients don't want to come back because they don't, you're a, you're not good at conversation or B you're kind of a dickhead. Well, then nobody cares. <laughs> nobody right, no, fucking I, and cares. I totally agree, but I think what's more common is the opposite. Um, paradigm where somebody's really fucking good at the social really fucking good at the um, interaction based element and then a really shitty performance coach yeah right but that person doesn't get kicked out of the field because they have business that person stays in the field and makes everybody else look shit you know like for sure but then that's also that should be there should be criteria for the program right that's why there's somebody overseeing it somebody if you have a competent teacher my mom's a my mom's a really good fucking teacher she can pick up on which kid is the fucking bullshitter she knew she knew it was me from the moment she fucking had me but you can pick up on the bullshitter and that comes down to you just grade that person fairly as the professor like smooth talk aside you can pick up on hey they have great social aspects that should be a part of the grading scale Having yeah. a great social game should be a big part of anything because you're in the service industry. You have to deal with people. Yeah. Like that's something that always gets overlooked. You can be a genius, but guess what? Unless you're like Steve Jobs and you completely revolutionize everybody, you're not allowed to be an asshole too. So for the most part, that should be on the grading scale, but that's why there's somebody overseeing it because that person overseeing it, that teacher, that professor, that educator is able to see their program as well. And they can say, Hey, you're really good at the social aspect, but guess what? Your program sucks shit. So we need to focus on this. In this like utopian model of of the curriculum though, I think either they both should be weighted 50, 50 or, um, or there should, should be a better balance of the two because right now in the field, that's a hugely uneven weighing game, right? Like, yeah, like, it's again, it, it's a frustrating conundrum because like, if you fail the social side, you're out, like yep. you, you're, you're just not going to get any business. You're not a good coach. You get fired, whatever. If you fail the scientific part, you're still in baby. You can still run the yeah. ball, right? Like yeah. that's, and again, that that's like the opposite of what should be happening. Like that's the, the, the hard True. pill to swallow as you know, as like an ethical practitioner. For sure. So then how would, I know you were asking me the question, but I'm going to turn around on you. Then how would we get it to the point where that skill is, is worth more? How do we get it to the point where that skill is more valuable? How do we set that grading scale up? Well, I think it's, it's, you know, a short answer in my head right now is just awareness and knowledge on uh, based on like what our field is like that. And that's the whole podcast. Again, we have with Tim Murray, right. It's like, yeah how do you define a performance coach or a strength coach? Like there's no real judged criteria because there's so many different ways to do it, which is what I've been talking about. Um, but like head coaches or your employer, like they don't know, they don't know what to grade you on other than like, does it look like they work kids hard? Perfect. You know? <laughs> and like, so that's maybe one aspect. Like I, I'm a fan of the oversight, but also I'm not at all. So that's an interesting conundrum there. Cause the same time I want somebody judging the quality of my performance. I don't want, you know, certain individuals with egos, like pick pinpointing what I'm doing. Um, so that's a, it's a interesting question and it's hard to answer. That's why I asked it. (laughs) Um, but I think general awareness as far as, you know, are we making athletes performing better and more resilient to injury period? Like, yeah, I feel like, you could get some feedback from the athlete and that's a super soft answer, but like just gathering more feedback, um, no, it's going to sure. be huge. Um, yeah, man. Coming up with more objective measures, <laughs> no, like coming up with actual metrics that we can track so that you actually know if your programming is doing something. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's done a lot from what I've seen. It's done a lot in a good like collegiate strength and conditioning program, but like, as far as like 
what I'm doing now, like I don't have objective, you know, graphs of like, have I taken athlete from X to X? Right. Exactly. But I would say that that would, I would say that that would make everything more, that would make everything better. Yeah, it'd be more. What's the thing? Be sure. a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> it'd be a lot more transparent. That's for sure. Like, yeah, I can tell you, I've gotten this person stronger. I've gotten their their instance of injury down. Exactly. So, like, uh, uh, so basically, what we're saying is, like, right now, it's just there's a big old there's a big old objective measure tracking issue with strength conditioning. That if we put that into the education model, that would very easily be solved. Because then we yeah, have objective that- measures if your programs are doing shit. Then we get, but then we get even more into a, like a practical, um, hiccup where like, I know my schedule and I have zero fucking time to do that. Like I cannot sit. Oh dude, I could pay some programmer to put a thing together like that. That's something that would be fixed easily, easily. True coach does that for us right now. You could. It literally does. I have graphs right here. And you put the onus on the athlete then because then the athlete has to put the numbers in. So if the athlete put the numbers in, if they don't put the numbers in, that's on them. Then if, if I don't know what you're doing because you fucked up. I mean, that's fair on on the true coach aspect of things. I see that, but like, I don't know as far as it it would require a higher degree of uh, being good at your job. For sure. (laughs) Well, that is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I don't know. As much as I fucking want to have, all my ducks in a line with programming with data collection and everything. Yeah. Uh, to me with the coach athlete ratio that needs to happen for my business to be pre- successful. And for a lot of things like that's just somewhat out of the picture right now. Yeah, dude, it's a lot. That's what I've been struggling with right now is like, I fuck, I'm not perfect. I, I record, I record metrics as much as I can when I'm on site, but I'm not right now. I'm not making an app. I'm not putting shit in on my own. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying you know, to make like, these things better. For my, like when I had, you know, two athletic teams and I had full Excel sheets, like dedicated to them, I could track progress and look at bar graphs of like, are we generally get better at this and that? And like, and that's what I would love to do, but I, it's not practical for me to have spreadsheets and graphs for every single group I work with nowadays. Like that's again, just another workload that gets thrown on top of a overworked field. Well, and uh, to be fair, to counteract my point of objective, like we need more is like, unless we're working with the pinnacle of athletics, unless we're working with like the three letter, the three letter organizations, like, does it really fucking matter? (laughs) It sounds terrible to say, but like, does it really matter if I have, if I can track to the 0.01% of high school football players, like strength metrics? I don't, I don't think it does. It really, really does when it gets to the top level. But for the most part, I don't think like having extremely accurate measures matters a whole bunch for high school athletes. You need them. You need general ranges. I don't think you need to spend the extra hour and a half working doing that. Yeah, I agree with that. That's but, but that's a uh, that's a whole separate thing. That I'm like, say, that opens high school can high worms. school athletics like basically being treated like professional athletics nowadays. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conundrum too because tracking those like that that's a theoretical argument in itself. It's like does tracking those numbers guarantee performance, or am I tracking those numbers so I can keep my job? Like, yeah, you no, know, I feel like that's half the motivation in the collegiate model when you're tracking maxes or tracking range of motion or whatever. It's like, I'm justifying why I still have a job. Yes. You know, it's like, I'm not oh, yeah. actually tracking this to improve the athletes or see a general global picture. It's like, I need to have these graphs. So that when I have our end of season meeting with the head coach, he knows that I do my shit. Yeah. yeah. So self-serving in nature. 
Well, I mean, and I think there, there's an, there should be an accountability aspect to that, but that, again, a whole nother can of worms for a whole nother podcast. Yeah. The, yeah that's not this podcast. <laughs> Damn, but for All a, free, right, what for we a freestyle. Man, I, don't, I don't even know what we talked about anymore. I don't know. I just looked down and it was 55 minutes later. So <laughs> typically those go well for us. So yeah. if you guys like this, please let us know in the comments um, or in the, uh, what would that be? Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Please like, share, subscribe, do all the cool stuff that allows us to become friends with your friends. Um, if you need to get in touch with us, all of our information is in the show notes. Both of our emails are building a fighter email that goes to both of us, um, as well as our Instagram handles. Instagram is probably the best place to get a hold of us. At our website, we have all of these different programs available, whether it be our conditioning templates, whether it be our uh, week, uh, like a month out of season camp, in camp, whether it be individualized, team-based, we got them all. You got low back issues. Guess what? We got a low back strengthening course for you as well. So check that out. Um, we, we love when you guys check that out and start using those. And as always, this is Dr. Austin Shane, Alex Friedman, and we are 